excited to um, talk to you on our little podcast, Jamal. Um, it feels like we've got real star-studded guests this time, real industry leader. So I really appreciate it. Um, Australia now, not perhaps the first place the US thinks of when we're talking about mega deals and expansion, but it is, of course, a thriving economy, a really resilient economy, and it's heavily influenced by the US, particularly the software and tech industry here. So I thought perhaps we could open up by maybe getting your thoughts on what is the opportunity for reps who would like to become real enterprise mega deal sellers that are in Australia? Um, so I have Australian reps reach out to me monthly. Um, and uh, up until relatively recently, I've never been able to work with them because of the time difference. But enough have come uh, more recently that now we're putting together small cohorts. And it's actually really good because then I can do, you know, uh, some coaching work in the morning, my time, which is mid to late afternoon australia time and so now i'm really starting to get to know the selling reality of of reps in australia especially the really ambitious ones and the overall message if i'm understanding it right is that there's there's a lag in the maturity curve of selling between the us let's say and australia and so some of the more advanced uh skills or selling techniques are on the way in Australia. You know, they they they're they're more established in the US, but they're they're kind of on the way. And also the size of the organizations are not as big in Australia as they are in the US. So, um there's more SMB mid-market, maybe commercial size companies in Australia and then you which is of course is true in the US in spades, but then you also get to really, you know, the majors, the globals, uh, enterprise counts as mm. well. So, uh, but I don't think the gap is that great. So to answer your question, what is the opportunity? I think the opportunity for sellers in Australia is to really differentiate themselves in, in a few ways. And th th they're also the major areas that I focus on because they are the biggest differentiators. Um, and the skill sets that are really making a difference in any market, but you know, even more so in in the current downturn, the crunch on spending, the general increase in sales cycle times, uh, the the larger number of stakeholders it takes to get to a decision. There are two big skill sets where reps are differentiating themselves. Are number one, learning how to engage executives, how to how to reach out to them, how to connect with them, how to engage them, how to keep their attention through a sales cycle, how to get a decision out of them or have them lead a decision and sponsor a real investigation into the solution that they have. That's number one. Number two is once you get that executive's attention or that buying committee, uh, uh, you know, set of three to five executives, once you get their attention, to have something really impactful to say. And that is not going to be the script that you've been given by your sales enablement team or the deck that you've been given by your marketing team. Clicking through those slides is not going to captivate the attention of senior stakeholders. Most often, as soon as you pull out a deck, their eyes are gonna glaze over and they're going to start to be checking their email on their phone. 
Right. Well, let me take a pause. Those are kind of the two big pillars that I see are really the opportunity for sellers in APAC in general and Australia in specific. Mm. When you mentioned the outreach and the engagement part, is your do you teach the reps that you work with that that should be self-sourced? So those points of engagement should be by the rep. I know a lot of reps go into a, a role which is large enterprise. You want to know, so what support do I have? Do we have SDR and the likes? What uh, resources do we have? Is your take that that really should be self-sourced and in a different um, a different way of approaching than it would come from the sales engine? Uh, yeah, <laughs> my my uh, <clears throat> my twenty years in enterprise sales had a recurring challenge, which is I wanted to do the selling, not the prospecting, and so I was always putting positive pressure on my SDRs, my direct reps, et cetera, inside reps to uh, get higher in accounts and try to get these meetings with more senior people. And on a recurring basis, they were by and large not able to do that. There, there would be a few standouts who would, but by and large, the SDR role is um, has not, in my experience, proven to be able to get quality meetings with senior executives on a consistent basis. And because of that, I had to take on the task myself, which is not all that strange because SDRs are awesome at what they do, but they tend to be younger. They tend to be less experienced in terms of longevity in the field. And those are two qualities or you know uh, uh, capacities within a person that as you mature, you start to look like the people you'd be prospecting too. So there's just this gap, you know, that's generally at the SDR level that you really have to make up by by doing it yourself. Now, there's there's a consistent gap as well, even among decent full cycle sellers. There's that tense moment where you're like, holy cow, I'm going to reach out to a senior vice president. Uh, of a company, or sometimes you get that tingly feeling, even at a lower level, like a, like a VP. I'm just this lowly rep, and I'm reaching out to this executive. There's a natural hierarchical gap that makes me a little nervous. What am I going to say to this person? And um, so my my response: a, a lot of reps ask me, "How am I supposed to be doing the outreach to the executives?" You know, clearly the the, the SDRs are going to be feeling that. But even even I have that kind of hesitancy or, or or nervousness, and my my first answer to that is um, leverage others around you to help with this process. So I like to say that you know I I, all, I would always overinvest in trying to earn warm introductions. And the ways that I would do that is really building my brand with my own executives and then ghostwriting emails or, you know, doing the legwork for some kind of outreach that they would either execute or sponsor so that the outreach is really peer-to-peer, not subordinate to senior. Let me, let me take a pause. I go on it forever, but let me, let me take a pause. Absolutely. And there's so much there I'd love to um, dig into, you know, um, we could be here all, all evening. Um, so perhaps I'll go back and, you know, I want to ask you, is is aspiring to large enterprise mega deals, 
do you think that's the the holy grail for aspiring salespeople or it should be generally yeah i mean you know when i started on this path of you know putting out really putting out a message about the the large deal story i really didn't know how aspirational how widely aspirational it was so the you know the first podcast that i did was with uh scott ingram on the sales success stories podcast like three years ago maybe yeah about three three four years ago and as soon as that podcast was released you know i just started to get reps just hitting me up on linkedin oh i heard that episode that was a great story i want to do that can you teach me and you know from there on it's just really proven to be a very aspirational topic i mean it, i suppose it's debatable as is it the pinnacle or is it the only way um to get to kind of elite rep status and i would posit it is um there are other elite reps who can make a lot of money or you know kill their number uh two three four times uh you know their target with medium deals or smaller deals but that's a real slog you know um large deals and small deals there's not a huge delta in the amount of effort that it takes to do a small and a large deal so I think why not just do a large deal it's just it's marginally more work but many multiple times the size of deal could pop out on the other side but for I for me there's a lot of reasons why doing the very large deals is is really the goal it's the pinnacle um one because it's super aspirational two because the delta between the effort of small and large is not that great but the multiple of the revenue is uh and thirdly is the nature of the broadly the nature of almost every compensation plan um the the truth is is that b2b sellers we really kind of live in this matrix right there there is a whole ownership structure far above us which more and more is getting consolidated in the vc and the private equity world private equity is like eating the world you know every software company as it goes up its maturity if it doesn't go directly to be public it's probably going to get sold bought and sold a few times and most of those activities are with private equity firms so if you can imagine that you know we have these owners above us and they really the owners establish who's going to be the operators and for us that's the sales line of management and they really dictate what's the what's the mandate the mandate is growth private equity up until recently has been growth at any cost now private uh, uh vc is starting to look like private equity which is consistent growth preferably consistently high levels of growth so long story short the the, the model that's created that that manifests itself in a compensation plan is that they want reps reps to basically hit their number but they don't want reps to really blow past their number because that becomes a higher cost of sale to the organization so there is a there is a split there is a divergence between our best interests and the company's best interest the way that 95 percent of compensation plans are put together so to buck the system we have to overachieve by a big amount and the mm -hmm. fastest way to overachieve is by doing 
very large deals. It's really interesting to hear you say that the the efforts um, correlation isn't the the gap isn't so great either. Though I imagine the skill level um, is a much greater gap. Do you think it's perhaps the risk profile that prevents some people because the the risk correlation is is large, right? If you yes. if you don't win those deals, you're out of a job um, much more quickly. Do you feel that's something that would put off an aspiring rep? taking that that path it's it's more than the rep it's also the management mm. so i i have i don't know 25 percent of managers that i speak with said i'm not sure that i want my sellers to focus on doing large deals because what if they don't happen is very binary either they have a really positive event or they get a goose egg mm. and my response to that is i mean you're assuming that that's all that they're doing. And I, I don't advocate that. I advocate looking at a, uh, any, any given rep, look at your territory or your named account list or your patch, you know, your world of accounts and treat it as an investment portfolio. And think in, in concert with your management, I'd have this conversation with my manager, what kind of risk profile are you okay with me taking with my accounts this year? There's going to be a high risk section, a medium risk section, and a low risk section. What percentage are we both interested in? I, as a rep, I'm interested in doing 50% large deals, 25 middle, medium, and 25 low. Managers like, oh, I want you to do 5% large deals, uh, 80% uh medium and the remainder low right so through this negotiation you can come to a mix that makes sense and maybe you wind up at 25 percent, right so if you got let's say you just keep the numbers around if you've got 10 accounts you could go for larger deals in four of them for me that's even a bit much doing doing the work doing the the um a, a real playbook for large deals is so heavy and and front-loaded I've never been able to do more than two at one time. And how does a rep have that conversation and it be a positive one with a manager if they're quite new to enterprise? Is a lot of that built on trust and time served or could a new rep be able to have that conversation and negotiate a good, a good patch? They, they can have the conversation, but without the bars on their shoulder, they're not going to win. They're, they 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 might get a concession and sir you can try a little bit here, but the the first one is the 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 hardest right that's where the wind is most in your face, uh and I I, I wrote a book right it's called Mega Deal Secrets and it's the story of my first large deal and I wrote that book to really describe for any rep to give them kind of a a bird's eye or a, a kind of an over the shoulder look into what these large deals actually entail and how chaotic they can be and how unsure of the path, you know, the seller can be in the midst of it because it's this windy road. Um, so yeah, garnering the resources, getting everybody on, on side and, you know, executing a really large deal. The first time you do it, it's probably, um, some other indicators about 
the interest, you know, the the depth of the problem that the customer has, the interest that the customer has in your solution, et cetera, that is really going to be the uh the the energy that drives a commitment to really chase a very large deal the first time. After you've done it once or twice, then it gets easier to go to your management and say, okay, I see uh the same kind of evidence in this account that we had in the other one that we that became a really large deal. I think we should invest in this deal and bring lots of resources to to make something significant happen. Really interesting. The internal stakeholder management sounds almost as uh, imperative as external, which perhaps a lot of younger reps don't think about. Um, <clears throat> is there a framework that you would use if a rep was to assess a product and organization they were going to sell for going into an enterprise role? And, and the context here is I speak to a lot of reps here in Australia who have been successful, move up to enterprise, and then a year later, they come back to me and say, hey, let me go back to mid-market. I did well there, and I think I, I can earn more. So I'm happy to drop back down. Happens all the time here. What's your advice to reps and how they might better assess that situation? Uh, that's a great question. And um, there's no formula, right? There are some there are some signposts, but it's it's it, you can't just throw out a formula. If if I was in, looking for an enterprise role today, I would be looking at a number of things. I would be looking at uh, where along the maturity model of the development of the entire company and the, the, the their flagship product. Where is that? Are they is are we in an evangelical phase of a solution that is not widely used in the market? Like 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 a solution that solves a problem that's an that's a new way of dealing with something or am i selling something that everybody has and it's a rip and replace like erp or crm uh you know things like that uh or am you know the 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 sweet spot is something that's new but now we're driving adoption right we're on the other we're really reached the other side of the either the hype cycle or the uh that crossing the chasm right when the when the early adopters have gone through the pain of bringing something from a new idea to something that's established, and now you're in version two or three of the software, and now it's becoming broadly accepted, that's like a that's like the sweet spot for for sellers to be because all the wind is in your back, and you have all this moment, momentum. For better, for worse, sometimes your sales skills don't have to be as great because the product. Um, you know, and the the growth of the category, the adoption of the category, has so much momentum. You're you're bringing that momentum to bear for your own benefit. So maturity maturity level of the company or the product or the category. Secondly, is the experience and um, selling style or management style of your direct manager. You know, a lot of people say it's not the company, it's the manager. And um, that can have a huge impact because regardless of the layers above your first line manager, it's your first line manager that is the closest to you that really has the most influence and maybe even control about what you're able to do. And, you know, the, the worst scenario to be in is when you have a strategic mindset and your direct manager has a, has a uh, transactional mindset. That's like yin and yang. That's... Uh, 
oil and water. They're just never going to mix. So assessing um, through questions in the interview process to your manager, like, you know, okay, what's the framework that we use here? What do you think about that framework? You know, are you 100% in or do you have some tweaks that we, you would want me on your team to, to do? What do you think about big deals, medium deals, small deals? How do you think about territory management? Um, you know, uh, are you going to manage me on a quarterly basis or an annual basis? That's a big question because right there, if you're if you if you see that you're going to be managed on a quarterly basis, you're not going to be do you're not going to be able to do strategic selling at all. Strategic selling doesn't happen in three months; it happens in six, nine, twelve, eighteen months. So these are the kind of questions that I'd be asking a manager. And then lastly, the 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 nature of the product itself on the continuum of point solution or complete platform where within there does the product sit the further you are toward the point solution the harder it will be to sell the value as something that is something that a more senior person is going to care about point solutions tend to be lower on the scale platforms or enterprise grade solutions as something that executives can get behind I understand. And perhaps this is too, too binary a question, but does that mean if you want to be a true enterprise seller, you need to go and work for a tier one? No, or could you, you do not. Could you be a new challenger? It'll, it'll, it, absolutely. Absolutely, you can. I mean, there are, there are cases of Workday was a new company at one point, but they were taking, they were, um, I don't know if they were the category they certainly weren't the category creator of HCM and, and ERP, kind of that meeting point, but they had mm -hmm. a completely new take on it with a completely new culture. And mm -hmm. so in the early phases of Workday's development, they were not a tier one, but they had a really great enterprise process and they really dominated at a very uh, kind of large bracket level, you know, at the, the, at the top tier. That's just one example, and there are plenty of them. So you can do amazing work at the enterprise level at an up-and-coming company. That's a great example. Um, to touch on products uh, a little bit further and go the other way, what areas of industry do you think are set to thrive considering the economy um, conditions that we face at the moment? Uh, it's really, it's really, uh, it's a great question. I don't have a uh again a formulaic answer there's a there's a common uh contact that we have in australia and they work with you know basically software that cfos care about mm. um the answer that i would give today is not necessarily here are the top three um industries that you should sell for but rather um how to find out what is in scope uh, what is fundable this year with your biggest accounts? Because they're going to be different for every, for every, you know, for a manufacturing company versus a, a telco, they're going to have different priorities this year. And in, in my community, the enterprise sellers community, um, we have uh, guest speakers that come in every month. And one of them was John McMahon. I don't know if you know John McMahon, but he wrote the qualified sales leader. And he's a he's a bona fide sales guru. He's five times CRO. He was he was a CRO at Ariba and uh, PTC, 
And right now he's on the boards of, uh, of MongoDB and Snowflake, and he's having big impact. He, he's basically like the godfather of what they call the playbook company. And he's had influence on, you know, Datadog and um, it's just a whole list of very fast growth companies, Zscaler. And now he's got all these people who have worked for him in the past as directors or VPs. Now they're off being CROs, kind of spreading the gospel of John McMahon. When he when he visited with us, he said, you know, in a downturn, you have to have a uh, you have to be very nimble with your ICP. It's going to shift a lot and you have to pay a lot of attention. Who needs your stuff desperately right now? That's probably going to change during a downturn and focus mm-hmm. only on that. Now, that gets sticky at the rep level because you, you're you kind of frozen in the accounts that you have. But um, I, I don't know this, but I have the sense that in Australia, because of the way that the territories run, um, they generally don't have a really small number of accounts. They have a, a, a healthy number of accounts. So whether it's 50 or 100 or whatever of smaller businesses, really pay attention on the ICP. Who's going to need the stuff that you have right now? And that's a better way to go than just to say, oh, here's the top three industries that I'd work for this year. Got it. <clears throat> Good advice. And then um, a common theme with um, sales gospel, I had a question from uh, an enterprise rep in my network. I told um, some people that I was going to be talking to you today and they asked uh, some questions, hope you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> one of those was um, the challenger sales methodology became uh, very prominent during the last uh, financial crisis. Um, and as we go through another economic downturn, what tips would you recommend to survive for sellers if if it is a methodology or a playbook game plan, if you could summarize? I, I go back to the first two things that I said. So Challenger is a is a strong piece of the foundation of selling. That the the primary um value of of challenger has been somewhat misunderstood or or uh, misutilized the concept of challenging and the, you know that misutilization is being a jerk <laughs> kind of beating up your customers uh, and thinking that that's challenging and the spirit of the challenger sale is to just um have a point of view go through the process of commercial teaching to basically push through what the customer thinks they need or has never even considered and push through a current understanding into a deeper understanding of the reality, which is often an uncomfortable process. Mm. You know, if you, if, if you, uh, I just heard this analogy from another sales guy I was listening to. And he said, you know, if you have a headache, a recurring headache, you go to a doctor, you you go into that session thinking, I'm going to need to get some medication or something like that, so, or, or the visit itself, it's going to be about a hundred bucks, something like that. But then as the doctor pokes and prods to find out what's really going on, their questions, you know, what are you eating? Or how is your sleep? Or what's going on at work? Or how about the genetics in your family? As they start to dig, what really comes out is uh, uh, something much more worrisome. And they say, you know, we should probably do a CAT scan or an MRI or something like that to, to see. That turns into a $500 solution, mostly paid by insurance. 
you do the, the you do the MRI and find out that there's a tumor there. Now the the operation to pull a tumor out of your brain is a million dollars. So that's that's what Challenger does really well. What they don't focus on, it may be assumed, but it's certainly not you know taught like step one, two, and three is those two pieces how to how to get this in how to get this process, how to engage in this process with executives. There's like zero in in the the challenger sale about how to actually do that. Mm-hmm. It's much more about um, poking and prodding and doing the commercial teaching. But there isn't, an, in my view, there's not enough in enabling reps to be able to go tell that amazing value story. So that goes back just to the first two things that I said, working with executives and learning how to craft the right, powerful value story that the executives are going to care about. Right. It's a brilliant analogy that really helped me understand it, actually. And I think <clears throat> the great part of it is uh, the doctor in that scenario is the rep. And as such, hopefully they're you know spending as much time to be an expert in the problem that they're trying to solve as opposed to just um, prodding and trying to create a reaction. So uh, great analogy. Thank you. Um, then what um, are the things that you typically find reps, what are the, the common traps that you find they fall into um, when times are tough as an enterprise seller? Reactivity. Oh, right. let me just push harder. I'm going to do more cold emails, more sequences. I'm going to just go for meetings. There seems to be this heavy overweight in value of meetings. Underlying that uh, commonality is a sense that more activity will drive more results. And that's true at a transactional level. If you're selling a 10K product or maybe a 50K product, Um, more activity just might help. But when you're speaking at the strategic sales level, um, it's working against you because to increase your volume um, without putting more resources on it, the quality is going to go down. And any quality, any activity that's of a low quality will not make it through the senior ranks in any organization. So what I would do instead is reverse to do either the same number or a little bit fewer high quality activities that are very front loaded in terms of research and prep, because those, those are going to lead to the greater results at a more senior level. Yeah. Well, great. There's a, there's an analogy that I keep thinking of throughout this conversation that um, I think relates really well. I'm just thinking about a sports coach um, that's instilled by the director of a sports organization, the one that clubs that give said sports coach two, three, four years to build you know, methodology and vision and let them do it. And they're great. Um, it often works really well, but if they're on a really, you know, uh, pressured timeline, they often make knee-jerk decisions and they're trying to do more activity as opposed to being given the runway to, you know, actually build something. And it seems really apparent in, um, you know, mega deals having to. Um, I'm conscious of your time, so I really appreciate it. We're just up to 35 minutes, Jamal. Um, <clears throat> so much here to get into and the enterprise sellers in Australia, of course, um, they're really punching up and they want to learn more. So um, if they want to be involved in the community, they want to get more from you, how uh, best do they go about doing that? Uh, you can just apply. Uh, so just go to enterprisesellers.com and there's an application process. Now, let me just set the expectation a little bit. This is not your 
everyday community. This is not a Slack channel for free. This is a subscription community. It's 147 a month. And yes, we have a Slack channel that you can get questions answered probably within an hour. But as I mentioned before, we've got expert guests that come in uh, at least every month, if not more often. We have one-on-one coach, one-on-one peer coaching, accountability groups, virtual events, and soon we'll have in-person events. So it is a full-on community that is there for enterprise sellers as individual contributors and as sales leaders. And we are the home of enterprise sellers, and our ambition is to be the number one place where sellers come to up-level all the way to elite rep status. And everybody who is in there, it's also very small, there's less less than 200 members. And so we're really a very intimate community. Um, And we're also helping each other actually in our daily workflow. We just implemented some software that helps us um, reveal and uh, generate warm leads, warm introductions from each other, from the accounts who we already know, the, the, the contacts who we already have. We're helping each other sell. So there's an awful lot to it. And I just want to make sure that, you know, there's a number of communities out there that are basically free Slack channels. And we're we're breaking right through that very low expectation into something much more robust. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll uh, be sure to um, spread the message. So yeah, thank you again, Jamal. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John Joe. Great to be here.